You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. Welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where we are having straightforward, honest conversations about what goes on behind closed doors, or on the couch, or on the kitchen table, or on the <laughs> floor, in the backseat of the car, in the, car, in the movie theater, <laughs> in the... We're, we're telling you all the things that your mama and your daddy never even thought to tell you. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> that those are things that you're like, well, hey, I hadn't thought of that. Or, whoa, I could, we could do what? And, and then we just see where it goes from there. Because that's one of the things that I love about Sexy Marriage Radio and our listeners is the fact that they speak up and they let us know, hey, thanks. Like this one came in just this last week. Of, this show is outstanding. Keep up the great work as there's not enough people talking positively about marriage and sex. That's exactly what our mar- our message is, isn't it? We want to make it such a positive thing in your life that that it can be all you hope it would be. Yeah, it's very countercultural because yep. if you look at TV and movies, the married couples are the ones not having any sex, right. and it's the single people or the people right. having affairs on their spouse that are really having the great hot sex, and that's just not the way that it really works, right. or at the, least not the way it should work. And the married husbands are buffoons and doofuses, and yes, and the yeah. women are withholding sex as punishment because they're buffoons and doofuses. Yeah, and, and yeah, and then I'm not going to say that's not always true, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, that can be some true stereotyping. But the whole goal is. I think there are some women on the planet who think that uh, their buffoonish husband is really quite sexy, though. Well, I, I mean, let's let's be real. I'm certain of it. Well, speaking <laughs> as a woman, that I have been my whole life, not at all. Um, <laughs> well, obviously, Pam sees something in you, and I see something in Greg. Perfect. Yes, that, that is perfect. Because one of the things that we also love to have happen is the fact that you know we can laugh about this kind of stuff. That. That we've we've been together enough as far as leading this show, leading this charge, and then I'm going to even speak for you because I know this is true in my marriage. Of we can laugh about this kind of stuff too, even when it's hot and heavy and intimate. There's still times where you can just start laughing, and because you just start being real, and that's what we hope people can have with Sexy Marriage Radio is that that you can just be real in your marriage. You can seek what you really want. You can go after your desires. You can say what your fantasies out, are. You can live out your fantasies. Right. That's and, right. In a really healthy, safe way. And if and if there's something that you are unsure about, got a question about, I just, I, I've never heard about this. I want to know more about this, whatever. Hey, we that's what we're here for. So send us an email at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com because the re, the readers, and the, I mean, the emails that we get from our listeners really help frame a lot of what happens here because that, mm-hmm. that helps us get a direction or a topic or an idea that maybe we haven't gone as deep as we need to or we haven't touched on it at all because Absolutely. we know full well there's all kinds of marriages out there. There's all kinds of things, and we couldn't possibly cover them all, so we try to hit the scatter shoot the main issues, <laughs> the main yeah. ones. And sexuality is such a complex topic. We yeah. could do this until the cows come home and still not cover, yeah. cover every topic that could be discussed, yeah. but man, are we going to try, aren't we? We are, and so <laughs> I think that leads us to where we need to go today, and that's the idea yeah. of how the the past or the things that have gone on in our life impact what happens each day. Yes. One of my favorite sayings is that sex isn't just what you do. It's who you are. Okay. It, we, we bring everything about our self-esteem and how we perceive ourselves to the table in an intimate encounter. 
And there was a point in my life where I really had to press the pause button and look at our sexual relationship and realize that, you know, this is not all Greg's responsibility to fix what I perceive is broken, that I perceive that I'm bringing some of this brokenness to the table myself. And I started seeing a counselor and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not just trying to tout our profession, but I, I so believe in counseling. Absolutely. That when, you, <laughs> when you can't see the forest for the trees, let somebody help you get the aerial view and mm-hmm. connect the dots and show you the cover of the jigsaw puzzle box and see, you know, the big pattern of what's really happened in your life. Because sometimes we just don't see it ourselves. But when it came to me, you know, bottom line is I just didn't feel worthy of a vibrant sex life. I didn't feel worthy of Greg's love. I felt as if I had to pester him to make him do what I wanted him to do, but that pestering approach was not working. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a step back and ask myself, why am I feeling the way that I feel about myself before I could answer the question, why am I feeling the way that I feel about our sex life and our marriage? It's a great beginning. Yeah. So here's what I realized, that I had three big hurdles that I had to overcome, and I traced these hurdles all the way back to early childhood. Okay. The first kind of a kind of a, a childhood tape that I had playing in my head is that I'm not worthy of living. Okay. And I asked myself, where did I ever pick up that notion? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, my parents didn't, you know, like beat me black and blue daily or anything. I'm not saying there wasn't ever some violent outburst or stuff, but for the most part, I had a pretty loving, supportive home. But when I remembered what I overheard my mom saying one time, I realized how much it had scarred me in a way that I had no idea how many years it would take me to really let that heal, that scar heal. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a sister who died when she was eight and I was four and my brother was 10. Okay. And um, my mother was saying to someone, um, well, uh, you know, Bill was on purpose and Donna was on purpose, but we had already sold the crib when we heard Shannon was coming. And in my mind, it's like, okay, because I was an accident. And then you add the fact that the child who was conceived on purpose is the one who died. Right. And I lived. Right. I kind of internalized the feeling of survivor guilt. Of right. It should have been me that, that died. Been if you. I wasn't. If I wasn't planned, then why wasn't it me who died and Donna who lived since she was was wanted? Or I'm, I'm not saying I wasn't wanted, but you get what I'm saying. I understand it completely. It created an, an identity crisis mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I had to realize that God is the one who decides who lives and who dies. And for whatever sovereign reason he had, he chose Donna to go to heaven and he chose me to stay on earth. And that I do have a purpose of for living. And I, and I am worthy of of fulfilling life. The next hurdle that I realized is, you know, why do I feel, what do I feel like there's no way my husband could be attracted to me? Um, and I have always felt much heavier than I probably actually am. Uh, I think that a lot of women have that body dysmorphic. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called? It is. Yeah. That, that they, it's like they look in the mirror and it can go one way or the other. You're either a relatively slender person, but you see yourself as so fat mm-hmm. or you're, you're overweight. And yet you see yourself as relatively slender and you just don't see reality. You just kind of see a, a, a perception of yourself in your mind. But I asked myself, when, when do I remember feeling fat for the first time? And I can remember being a really chubby child in like second, third grade. I don't remember it ever even being on my radar. It, it didn't even phase me. 
But when I turned about 14 or 15, I had actually already, you know, slimmed down. It was in pep squad and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But my brother took a picture of me one day where I was like sprawled out across the grass with my pom-poms and my cheerleader skirt. And I had a little gap between my teeth. And he started calling me walrus because of that picture. Okay. But the word walrus yeah. is not... Yeah. That's not a term that women really want to identify themselves no. with. And I started feeling fat, even though I had already lost that baby weight. Yeah. And that had stuck with me for a long, long time. And then finally, the notion of I'm not worthy of a man's time and attention and love. And asking myself, now, where did I pick up that notion? Mm -hmm. And realizing that after my sister had died, my dad and my brother especially just emotionally shut down. They distanced themselves to the nth degree. It was like they were afraid of ever getting close to anybody again for mm -hmm. fear of feeling that kind of pain if they lost them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me to grow up, you know, I had been the baby of the family and getting all the attention and affection. But after my sister died, everybody scattered. My dad was in the shop. My mom was in the kitchen and my brother was in his room with headphones. And I was in the living room day after day by myself thinking, where did everybody go? And what about me? Right. So I, I, so you can see how it would be easy to internalize yep. those feelings. Yep. And in my late 20s and early 30s was when it finally dawned on me that I need to create some new tapes to play in my mind because those dynamics are not true in my marriage relationship. Right. Greg is not my my dad. He is not my distant brother. He is not my mom that didn't plan me. He chose me. He married me. Yep. He finds me attractive. And I'm worthy of his time, attention, and affection. Yep. And so healing those old wounds did wonders for our sex for our sex life and for our marriage. Do you find something similar to be true with the well, clients that you work with? I, I do, but I got a question before we go there. Because okay. this I think this is important for our, our listeners to understand is – I'm I'm going to take the assumption or the stance that when you had this re these realizations you didn't then all of a sudden try to seek more than was necessary or needed from Greg to fill that void. You had to find a lot of that internally to be able to experience what Greg offered. I think that I had already been putting a burden of expectation on my husband's shoulders to meet my all in all. Okay. And when he wasn't capable of doing that, a, because he's only human, mm -hmm. and I had a grand canyon of emotional needs. <laughs> B, because he's an avoider, and emotional depth does not come natural to right. his personality style. I mean, there was a long reason, a right. long list of reasons why it's like, okay, I cannot hold my breath waiting for this guy to to heal my every wound. Right. I had to go run it into counseling, and, and I had to find that healing from inside myself. So... I think that taking that burden of responsibility off his shoulders and taking responsibility for my own journey, for my own healing, was the best thing Absolutely. that I ever and did. That's, yeah, and that's, that's the point I want to make, is that it's so easy, because it, 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 as I'm hearing your story, because I haven't heard this part, you know, this, this aspects of you, and as I'm hearing this, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, it's so easy for people when we realize our woundedness, and we realize the the insecurities, the flaws, the whatever it is that, that we've internalized and we've then started responding and reacting to, that we will then just gravitate to somebody to try to meet those needs. We'll, gotta, we'll try to get it from somebody else, you know, because if I don't feel good about myself, then I want you to help me feel good about me. Yeah, and, or and I nobody want, on the planet can do that absolutely, for very long. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we can do it for, for a, a short while. time. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's why 
you get the scenario of, you know, a, a client that had in and out of relationships and she comes to the, the office and she says, you know, Hey, I have found my soulmate, you know, and really, well, tell me about that. Well, it's because, you know, he can complete my thoughts for me. I don't I even have to say, about right. him. he I knows exactly he me feel right. He knows exactly what I'm going to say before I say it. And, and then she comes in three months later and she's like, she won't let me get a thought in. She won't, you know, he won't let me say a word. And, you know, and the, it's because we gravitate you crazy right. in a good way. will drive you crazy in a bad way. Right. Cause we, years. cause we gravitate towards the things that help us feel better. And we, we try to get that from others. That's just a human nature thing. Right. And so when we, re- I think when you can realize that I am responsible for me and I am responsible for my self-image and I am responsible for my self-validation and self-confronting. And then now all of a sudden I'm much more capable of being in a relationship that truly has some depth, that has some give and take, that has the capability of lasting long term. Right. Because if you come into that relationship expecting that that other person is going to fix you, heal you, prop up your ego, all that kind of stuff... And sometimes the other person has the same notion. They always I, do. <laughs> I call that two ticks and no dog. Yep. They just latch on and suck the life out of yep. each other. See, I, I picture it I picture it this way. that Okay, so imagine you get a couple and they're standing. I actually do this with, with couples in my office where I'll get the husband and we, we kind of role play this out. Um, and then anytime I get a chance to speak, I, vol- you know, I show this. Because you get two people and they're standing about five feet apart. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you put your hands that you're right in front of you so that they're kind of just, you know, you're saying, hey, here's 10 fingers right in front of you, right in front of your chest. And you lean into each other so that your, your hands start to grasp. Like and a you, trust fall. Well, it thing. is, but you're leaning on each other so that mm-hmm. truly one person's not leaning on the other. You're both leaning on each other. I think that's the way most every relationship starts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's that longing. That's that infatuation. That's that lust, that love kind of thing that we think. Uh, just I, this is produced just because of you. Mm. Most marriages stay that way, though. And the problem that creates is if I it, it, let's just play this role out with you and I, Shannon. Uh, just for our listeners' sake, Shannon and I are not married to each other. We do represent you know forty five plus years of married married life. But so if you and I were married and we're leaning on each other, and my importance, my validation, my security my acceptance in life and everything is dependent on you being there to hold me up. Where is my focus going to be on the other person on you all the time? And so if you slip, if you fall, if you set, say something that makes me mad, I risk falling. You go flat on your face, but the same, the same is true for you too. That if your focus is on me all the time, then anything I do that makes you mad. I, I can't. I can't say what I want. I, I can't rock the boat because you might leave, and then I'm falling. Or yep. so the whole goal is: how do I learn to stand on my own two feet? Yeah. How do I? How do I learn to be safe enough in with myself to then be in relationship? And I think that before women can answer that question, they have to look at the big picture of their life and what they've experienced all along. Right. And and that is you know all of this is the reason why I take such joy in doing these women at the well four day intensive workshops that I do. I have said that if I never publish another book again, I won't cry. I just want to keep doing women at the well workshops right. because I'm just seeing so much fruit there. Yep. But for a woman 
to come in and do her life mapping exercise and to realize the highs and the lows and the traumas and the tragedies and the disappointments and the disillusionments, and then to make the connection of how that has impacted her sex life mm -hmm. and how that is holding her marriage back. Wow. I mean, you talk about epiphany. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, if I could just draw from a couple of uh, of case studies of past women who've said, "Tell my story over and over," just change my name, <laughs> just just just. But yeah, they want other women to learn from their experiences. Um, I had a gal recently who she just had this feeling her whole life that I'm a bad girl. I'm a bad girl. Mm -hmm. And she had been married before, but she was just so afraid of ever being in a relationship again or ever getting married again because she just she perceived herself as a bad girl and she didn't want to infect someone. Right. And when we started unpacking when the earliest in her life she began feeling this way, uh, she really just opened up with the group and totally trusted them. This is eight strangers from all over the country, and they only know each other by first name. But they unpacked their baggage with each other like crazy. She told about her childhood experiences being that she had two older brothers that when she turned about six, these two older brothers began sexually acting out with her. And then her two younger siblings, which is a sister and a brother, she turned around and repeated that same pattern with them when they were about the same age. And so when she described her family life, her dad being an alcoholic and her parents' marriage being so chaotic, you could easily visualize that these children lived in such a chaotic home that they turn to each other for comfort. Mm -hmm. And even children will often turn to sexual play mm -hmm. as comfort. And that it wasn't a violent, abusive, dominating thing. It was more of a, okay, let's huddle up together and, you know, just get away from mom and dad right. and, and do what comes natural type of a thing. But she had, but she had so believed that she had sexually abused her siblings. But when I challenged her to look at it through a different paradigm in that there was innocent childhood sexual play between her, because her brothers were only a couple years older than her. They were all children. Right. They were all like under the age of 10 with this is happening. Right. They, this is, this is not, uh, yeah, this is not, I mean, this is just, you know, par for the course with a lot of really young children who are traumatized or who don't feel a close connection to their parents or whatever. And that she just turned around and repeated that behavior. But when I had her do an empty chair exercise and talk to herself at six years old, even though she was 44, and to say to that six-year-old girl, you are not a child sexual abuser. You have not touched a child since you became an adult. You haven't touched a child since you became a teenager. Right. That this was simply your way of acting out your own hurt, your own fear, your own pain, but you are not a child sexual abuser. And for her to shed that skin and that residue of feeling like such a bad girl was huge for her. And yeah. now she is in a dating relationship and she does feel like she has something to bring to the table of value. Uh, I love seeing women have those kind of breakthroughs. Absolutely. It's just awesome. <laughs> I can, I can imagine. So. Yeah. So another illustration, there was a gal who, um, uh, she was really wrestling with the fact that she often had fantasies of a threesome, but it wasn't the typical threesome of two girls and a guy, which is probably one of the most common fantasies, but her fantasy was to be with two men. 
And when I asked her about her childhood and her siblings, she had two brothers. And her story was that her older brother, who was significantly older, so there was kind of a power struggle in this dynamic, mm-hmm. but her older brother would drag her into his bedroom when his when their parents were in their bedroom smoking pot, too stoned out of their gourds to know what was going on in the household. He would drag her into their bedroom and sexually abuse her. And she remembers hoping that their younger brother would walk in and distract him and disrupt the cycle. Right. So from a very early age, she was fantasizing about two men, but it was in a very different context. Right. So you could see how that would translate into her adult fantasies. Because when we look at our fantasies, or I'm sorry, when we look at our childhood traumas and we then we look at our fantasies, they're like mirror images of one another. Mm -hmm. Fantasies are just the brain's way of trying to heal itself from past trauma. When women can understand that, that what I fantasize about, what I'm tempted by is not reality. Mm-hmm. It's trying to heal old wounds that I can actually heal in a healthier way than acting them out. That sets them free. Absolutely. And it brings healing and it brings genuine intimacy in a marriage relationship. Yeah. And it also brings about a a stronger, more realistic self, doesn't it? That that it, that, that where that goes beyond just your sex life. That goes in how you live life. I mean... Have you seen the Dove Real Beauty commercials? Yeah. yeah. They, they talk about with the sketch artist. And I mean, that's a great capture of what, what we're talking about in it, that how we view ourselves and how that impacts what we, how we live, our, live our life. Right. And what I see over this four-day span of time with women of all ages is they come in head hung low, shoulders slumped over, can't look at people in the eye, Look at their shoes when they're talking. Yep. And by the third day, their shoulders are back. Their chin is high. They're beaming. Everybody in the room is commenting like, you look totally different. <laughs> Your countenance is completely different. Yep. And then we send them back home to their husbands who, who are like yeah. elated yep. at the woman who walks through the door yep. and how different she is than the woman who left there. Yeah, that... So for those who are listening, who want to know more about Women at the Well workshops, we have one coming up November 2nd through the 5th, and then we've just booked our spring 2015 dates. They can learn more at shannonethridge.com by clicking on the Women at the Well workshop logo. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, I mean, because that's the whole idea that, I'm, I sit here listening to you talking about that, that I see that same kind of transformation in the intensives that I do with couples that are three days, three hours mm-hmm. each day in a row. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, it's intended for couples that have had a major crisis or some sort of chronic something that they literally brighten through the process that they, it is just this whole, you got this weight of the world on your shoulders because it's just the importance of what we're bringing to the table of, of your marriage. I mean, most of the time with couples I see in that boat, their marriage is is on the brink of being done, if not right. already paperwork filed. I mean, that's that's the type of clients I see. And by the time they're done, they have a just the weight's gone to a degree, and they have a different look of how they can approach things and how they can go with things. And if you look at it, look look at that just as a as a metaphor of of life of of married life, isn't it? That that's the type of person that your spouse fell in love with. That's the type of person that you most likely were portraying at right. the beginning. That That's soft, <clears throat> inviting, eager to connect. Yeah, right. Head being. up. Yeah. Head up. Even if it was a little bit fake. I mean, cause that's one of the things I say that when we're talking about, you know, the disillusion of, I want to get back to the way it used to be when, when we were dating, you know, that's an, 
that's an impossibility because, you know, you fell in love with your spouse's marketing department initially. <laughs> and, and they fell in love with yours, you know, because we all go into it with the, with the idealistic rose-colored disillusionment. <laughs> we, we put our best foot forward, but right. we're never able to keep it there. Right. And and then we also will like, we, we look back on it and go, yeah, I knew that going in, but it just wasn't that big a deal at the beginning, you know, or, you know, we kind of tolerate I, these little things. And I thought my love would change them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well that, how's that working out? But it, <laughs> it is, it's one of those that if I can confront the story I live to create a better story, that changes everything in life. It changes everything. And what they have to realize is that I mean, like I'm sitting here in my office and I have all these books next to me. If you could envision, if I took a book off the shelf and looked at the ending, if I really wanted to make sense of that ending, I wouldn't go back to the middle of that book. I would go back to the beginning of that book to really get the gist of how the story ended. And so oftentimes People look at problems in their marriage of they want to rewind the tape back to when they married of let's just look at our married life. And it's like, no, you lived 20 to 30 years before you ever got married. So you've got to rewind the tape all the way back to your earliest childhood experiences to really get the full story of what's going on now in your relationship. Yep. And because that gets you the full story of what's going on in your life. And yeah, and that's what we're talking about. And I think sharing that story with your spouse can be huge because when I learned why my husband is an avoider, when I learned more about his family dynamic, when he really understood the impact of being four years old and having your eight-year-old sister die suddenly of an aneurysm, I mean, like we start making sense of each other's wounds Mm -hmm. and then we realize, okay, that's why there's been a fear of intimacy. That's why there's been a grand canyon of of emotional Mm -hmm. needs. That's why, that's why, that's why easier to have compassion on someone's hurt. Right. But it also, it also allows you to start to see when they really confront themselves that you get a tremendous view of them and it's a new respect because then you can sit there and say, when Greg sticks with you, when you are an emotional basket case, let's say, and, and he, that's revolting to him and he wants to figure out how can I get out of this? But yet he stands strong with his discomfort and stays I know with he's you. putting. I know he's putting his best foot forward. This right. is not coming naturally right. to him. Right, but you can yeah. see that as wow. That's a different level of respect. That's a different level of growth. That's a different yeah. level of Greg. And the same thing with with um, you know in reverse when Greg sees me cultivating other relationships and building a career and ministering to other people, so that I'm not sitting around the house 24 hours a day expecting him to fill my cup. He has a great respect for mm-hmm. the fact that I understand that I can't get it all from him. Yeah. I don't need to get it all from him. I don't want to get it all from him. I would wear him out. So just <laughs> understanding what it, you know, how each other's wired and in the earliest beginnings to that story, I just think makes our love for each other and our respect for one another's journey go so much deeper. It does. And I think that that intimacy, meaning into me see is so much easier when you really see into their entire life, yep. including their childhood. Yep. Because, and again, I, I think I think I can speak for you here, just knowing what I know of you. But it's not about going back to childhood trauma, childhood instances, whatever, in a way to place blame no. on what happened. It's a it's a it's a way to make sense of what happens it's, now. It's a way to process what our brains weren't mature enough to process back then. Because right. my my friend Marilyn Meberg says it best. She says you have to feel it. 
to heal it. Yeah. So if you stuffed it years ago, it's it's still festering yep. and you do have to feel it to heal it. So just letting those emotions and people say, oh, you don't want to have to relive all that trauma. <laughs> no, you don't have to relive it. I can't make my sister die all over again. I can't recreate the the tension in my relationship with my dad all over again. I'm just allowing the feelings that I stuffed back then to come to the surface. And right. if I need to cry, I let myself cry. If I need to journal, I let myself journal. If I need to pretend like I'm talking to my sister, like I didn't get to growing up, then I do that. I just allow myself to feel those feelings so that we can process it. Yep. And, and sharing that journey with my husband, it, that's just as intimate as sex. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, that's living life on a deeper level together. To let your spouse in to yep. your deepest thoughts and emotions and experiences and feelings, that is that is deep. And it just goes back to what I said at the beginning. Sex isn't just what you do. It's who you are. So don't just spread your legs and share your genitals with your spouse thinking that you're being a great sex partner. Share who you are to the core of your being yeah. with your spouse. Yeah. And sex will be a natural outcropping of that. Yeah, this is this is the opportunity to have sex where you experience each other behind the eyeballs. Yes, soul sex. Yep, it's it's a true deep connection without fear of being smothered or losing yourself because you know who you are in the midst of it. And you can be there and be present and be uncomfortable and be and, and, whatever and it is comforted. and confront it. Yeah, and confront it. And comforted at the same time. Yep. And that's that's the goal of growing in life. That's the goal of deeper connection in marriage. That's the goal of better sex. Yeah. Because you truly are more comfortable in your own skin. True. So true. Well, Shannon, thank you for you this bet. one. Because this was kind of more you and leading the charge, and I love it. Just Thanks kind of, for letting me have the opportunity. Absolutely. So if you want more or want to hear something else that we haven't discussed, please send us an email, feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. Jump on iTunes, give us any kind of review or thoughts you have. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope that you'll take the chance to look back so that you can be better where you are now. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.